eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. We are here on location at Daytona National Speedway for the second consecutive year, this time with this year's defending Daytona 500 winner, and it's Denny Hamlin. Denny, thanks for being here. Um, I hope you hit the <laughs> view. For those of us who can't I see do. this, which is everybody, uh, we're, we're looking out into Victory Lane. <laughs> I, I like it. I, I've actually been in this Victory Lane. A lot of times, even though it shows on record, I've got one Daytona 500 victory. It, <laughs> this is a very familiar victory lane for me. Yeah. You've been in it, what, for the shootout a couple of times? Shootout the three times, dual win twice, Xfinity win once. Uh, we're racking them up. It was a long time getting here last year, in other words, a year ago. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know that, like, this is not, like, the same picturesque setting. It's raining, unfortunately. Um, it's not quite the way it was exactly a year ago when you won here. But um, when you see Victory Lane here now, wait, do you have a different t- vibe to it? Is it a different memory? Does it immediately go back to where you were a year ago here? It goes back to there. I mean, you know, everyone's talking this year about, you know, the last, the last Daytona 500. Right. And, you know, so I've got to – kind of embellish those these last few days as being <laughs> the last unless i can do this thing again right um so i mean you just enjoy it and and it's a lot of fun for me to to come back and see it and you see some banners here and there of you know your win and um it, it's it's what people are talking about right now so it's it's a proud moment yeah does it get old getting asked about it especially this week or no? it doesn't get old i mean yeah. it gets old asking you know why you didn't win this championship or that championship that that's more (laughs) what gets old yeah so a year ago you told this great story after you won about your second grade teacher um let's see if i've got this right you talked about your friend carrie barton carrie barton okay so carrie barton was like your best friend yeah he was sitting beside me in class yep and you guys used to dream and he was going to be your crew chief that's right and your second grade teacher said tell me what you want to do which which is odd because no kid ever grows up and says i want to be a crew chief (laughs) <laughs> they want to be a driver. They're just not that good. You know right, what I mean? Right. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny that um, 
I was watching the NBA All Star game the other day, and it was Brad Stevens is like nobody, no kid ever dreams of being an NBA coach. Yes, they, they dream of being a player. Right, it's just they're never good enough, and so right. then they get into coaching. I think it's the same way with with crew chiefs. They they, they never <laughs> probably aspirated to be a a guy that works on the cars. Instead, it, it right. never worked out. But in this case, you had a seven year old friend named Kerry who was good with being your Ernie Elliott. He was to your good Bill with Elliott. being my you know my Cal Naughton. He was he was good. <laughs> he Naughton. was good. Okay. He, 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 there was nothing wrong with silver in his mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> did you have a chance to talk? Do you still keep in touch with him? Do you keep in touch with that that teacher? I, no. I lost touch with Carrie probably when we were 12 13 years old so probably I think we went to different uh, middle schools I believe we were in the same elementary but not middle okay all right um do you go back to Chester I, I, I guess how often do you go back to Chesterfield these days I'd say probably four times a year okay. um twice for the racing twice for other things uh but my other best friend was Brooks Taylor who actually is is the you know PR guy or Martinsville. Martinsville. I didn't know that. And actually, what's you know, we grew up literally from when I was four years old. I went to his mom's preschool that she owned, mm-hmm. and me and him were huge race fans. I mean, there's, I tell you something that I have in my office that is amazing. Six years old, right around that same time I wrote that letter, there was a soccer ball that we had no interest in soccer. Soccer, you know, we were all about racing. So we were practicing our signatures in case we ever became famous. We would practice it on the, on the white parts of the soccer ball. Right. So in my office, my mom kept that soccer ball. There's all kinds of autographs of my autograph and his autograph on this old soccer ball. It looks like Wilson now. You know when Wilson <laughs> yeah, yeah. in, in Castaway? Yeah. He's, you know, the, the old Wilson, right? Not the right. fresh one that he just did. Like, it's all beat up and everything and, and discolored, but you still see all the old signatures from when I was six years old. Okay. And you and Brooks? Me and Brooks, it? yeah. You were a soccer guy as a kid? I, we, I don't know why we had the soccer ball, uh, <laughs> because we were so into racing, but you yeah. know, instead of kicking it around, we decided to draw all over it. Okay, cool, cool. I didn't know that about Brooks. That's yeah. interesting. I had no yeah. idea you had a connection there. So you, you grew up, as I said, you grew up in Chesterfield, which is just south of Richmond. You said you go back four times a year. What's it like going back now, or what's it been like going back as Daytona 500 winner? Is it different? It's the same. My friends still treat me the same. I mean, they, yeah. they talk about it a little bit more than than any uh, any other race, but um, they all treat me the same, and, and it's it's fun for me because I still go back to the same old restaurants and hang out and right. um, see all the same people, and it's, 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 it's fun to me. I mean, that's – what kind of keeps me grounded is keeping the same core group of friends around that I've always had. Yeah. What restaurants do you go to when you go to Chesterfield? <laughs> we, we go to Fridays. Fridays <laughs> is where everyone hangs out, you know, it, in, in Chesterfield, right off Hull Street. So. Okay. So you sort of still just keep it yep. old school. Yeah. Okay. Cool. When I do these podcasts, Denny, I, I usually, like, try to go through my old interviews and dig up sort of like a, a this is your life sort of um, approach where I'll find something you said from like 10 years ago. And unfortunately for you, this means I have lots of material. Oh. Um, because before I worked at NBC and USA Day, I worked at the Richmond paper. Right. And so I interviewed Denny for the first time um, before anybody outside of Chesterfield or <laughs> Virginia knew who Denny Hamlin was. And so I got a couple of things I want you to react to. Um, in October 2005, this was the week of your first cup start yep. at Kansas Speedway. And I'd done a story where I talked to um, uh, Claiborne Jessup. Yeah. And uh, was it Rodney Estes? Rodney Estes, okay. Yeah. okay. These are guys who worked on Denny's late model. 
when he was coming up and when he was writing. Was that when you were running for Jim Dean? It was, yeah. Okay. And that, that was essentially, Denny was a superstar in the late model tracks <laughs> yeah. around, what, North Carolina, Virginia? Yeah, the, the whole mid-Atlantic, North Carolina, Virginia, just tearing up all those short tracks. Yeah, yeah. And it was that that got him the test with Joe Gibbs Racing out of the blue. Well, not even a test. You were there to shake down a car yep. for a test. to find Eric Amarola and a couple other guys. Yeah, so... Um, I was talking to you about this right before you made your, your cup debut at Kansas in October 2005, and you were just sort of like like reminiscing about it. It wasn't that long ago. This is your words. It wasn't that long ago. I was watching um, these guys at Southside, watching I Could Race at that track. Southside Speedway is the, the short track at Richmond. Um, it's so amazing how fast everything has happened. I don't know that anyone has moved up to cup this fast. Um, you know, when I go back into town, meaning Richmond, I like to see all those guys, especially the guys that helped me out in late models, whether it's Ray is it Ray Weidman? Ray? Ray yep. Weidman, yeah. Um, the ones I, mes- I mentioned, Rodney, Claiborne, they gave up things to get me to the racetrack every week. We spent many hours working in the morning trying to get ready for race weekends. And I know that for that story, you told me some great memories about how you guys used to work in, like, hotel parking lots. Oh, yeah. Um, so not nice hotels, by the way. <laughs> like, what do you need to wear flip-flops in the shower? Like, ones, yeah. <laughs> ones like, right off I-95 that oh, were kind of yeah. scary, oh, right? Yeah. So um, that was only really still... 13 or 12 or 13 years ago it's that's crazy it feels like an eternity ago yeah uh but i still keep in touch with those guys anytime i run any local short tracks they're still on my late model team and yeah what was interesting to me and not interesting but you know makes me so grateful of those guys is that yeah they gave up you know they they were giving up time at home and Mm -hmm. rodney especially worked a full-time job at ge and he would leave his uh, work at five o'clock instead of going home right he he comes to our trailer shop and he's working on the race car and yeah. um it just was so cool for me to to be part of it and how i met rodney is actually i bought his late model uh when i my very first late model is when i bought from him and he was retiring and instead of just selling me the car and saying all right kid good luck he's like hey i'll just i'll come hang out with you guys and make sure you're good for a couple races before i just step aside and he never left you know he just stuck with me and was like you know i'll come on and crew chief and help work on the car and he never asked for anything from us he just hung out and worked his tail off on my cars (laughs) every single day so did they do late model crew guys like that even get paid or is it just they pay for travel they didn't for us for a long time and until we got to you know jim dean who uh was very fortunate enough to to help us get through and was able to pay those guys or reimburse them a little bit for for their time uh we didn't uh we didn't pay any of our guys and that's a lot of the ways short tracks works nowadays is that you know they spend all their money putting in the race car and pit passes and fuel they can't afford to really pay the people yeah and that and that seems like a lifetime ago when you think it that seems like a lifetime ago it's a, yeah it's crazy what what do you what do those guys say i mean is it like a sense of pride that like hey i mean because obviously without their help you don't win on those short tracks you Correct. don't get that call that gets you mm-hmm. to that hickory motor speedway test where you where you impress the hell out of gibbs How, what's what's that like you know it's just a chain of events that i think about all the time of that if that didn't happen or this didn't happen i never would have been here and i yeah. wonder it makes me always think well, how many others are in my my shoes from 13 years right. ago today mm-hmm. that just they didn't have that one thing that went right, and so they'll never be seen. Yeah. We'll never know who they are. And, uh, you know, it, it's incredible to me to see that whole process and, 
you know, we don't even have enough time on this show to talk about the whole process of me making it to this point. But uh, I, I can assure you it was a tough road, a very tough road. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I, I, I never rem- could remember anyone that went from you know, racing late models on short tracks to running cup in, in one year. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I think back on it and it's just it's mind boggling to even like I remember when I was working at the Richmond Times Dispatch, like we would get faxes about your career. Um, I think it was, maybe it was your mom sent them out. It was, it was, it would be about things you were doing. Like, I remember you took a helicopter between a couple of short tracks mm-hmm. one day to run like multiple events in the same day. Yep, yep. Um, so we sort of were aware of your career and we knew you were, you were good, but it, 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 there was never a sense of like, oh yeah, this guy. Cause at the time until you came along, I mean, for a storied, uh, a history as Richmond and Virginia had, it, it had been a while since there'd been a really good. Richmond area driver yeah, who made it this it, far. It, but it was incredible because there were a lot of really great short track guys that just never got the break either because maybe they yeah. were too old or, you know, they didn't say the right things when a microphone was in front of them. Uh, <laughs> you I never think, had I, that I, problem. I, you know, Dennis Setzer <laughs> comes to mind, you know, such right. a great short track racer and, you know, got to the trucks series and, you know, maybe some Xfinity, but never broke through. And, right. And, and so uh, it, to me, it was just amazing how it all worked out but uh yeah i mean how many more others are out there that we just right. will never know about just to put it in perspective for people listening who might not know the full context here for denny he made his he made your truck debut i think was that at richmond in september or was that in indy that was in indian indy at the irp and that yep. was okay so that was like uh august july summer of 2004 and then you ran a couple of truck races for gibbs and then you went to darlington for the yes. first time ever yeah, and finished what like eighth, I think. In eighth, the yeah. Pack? We started in the back of the pack and finished eighth. And you know, I, at each one of my debuts, I finished in the top ten. And, yeah. And so it was. Uh, that's what led this fast path all the way to Cup. And so right. I, I'm sure they didn't envision me not running a, a full season <laughs> of Xfinity before moving me to Cup. But yeah, you know, they had their struggles. And at the time, there was that whole top 35 rule where right. you could miss races. And I think the FedEx team, you know, missed a race they did. at Charlotte. They the 600. And yeah. uh, so Bobby Labonte, actually, you, everyone's seen that finish with, with uh, Jimmy, uh, had FedEx on the car, which right. is, you know, one-off thing. And at that point, I think they realized they had to make a change. And, you know, who else were they going to turn to other than their two young guys, me and J.J. Yaley, at the end of the year? Yeah, they they let you guys sort of duke it out toward the end of 2005. Mm -hmm. I think you guys each got four or five starts, and they went with you for 2006. And from there, it's history. But, yeah, to go from, like, truck debut in July 2004 to Xfinity debut a couple months later to full Xfinity season 2005, but then – Cup in debut September, yeah. in September. I mean, it's just it's mind-boggling to think about how it all transpired. Who the the test at Gibbs? Do you know like who gave JD your name and said this I, is the guy? I do. I, it was Curtis Markham. Oh, okay, who, that's who, right. It was who your spotter. Actually, okay. uh, he, he wasn't my spotter at the time, but he yeah. was the head of the Xfinity shop. Right. And um, you know, he was familiar with me because he had always kept up with the local short tracks because he, he like me did the same thing. You know, he never really made it. Right, uh, but he was very competitive in one races, and so I think he he called up JD, um, or maybe it was Steve D'Souza he called up, who was a who's the head of you know the financial side of the Xfinity shop, and said, "Hey, you might want to come down here and look at this kid. He's running way faster than the other kids that we were looking for, and um, just maybe you should take a look." And so JD came down, Steve came down, and they, 
I remember him, you know, me saying at the end of the day the test was over, and I wasn't there really to impress them. I was there just to help them pick out other mm-hmm. drivers. I said, hey, if you ever have any testing in Xfinity you want to do, let me know. You know, I'll, right. I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes. And uh, they said, yeah, we might actually have something else for you, and we'll get in contact with you. And uh, a month later, they I remember they gave me a check, $10,000. I bought a plasma TV and rims for my – Ford Ranger. Uh, that's that's what I did with that check. Um, <laughs> blew it within a week. And uh, that's not like you at all. No. And and uh, and really, just it was it was cool to I was I signed with Gibbs. I remember right. I got a Joe Gibbs Racing sweatshirt, and it was like I wore that thing nearly every day to work because it was like, hey, I'm on the Joe Gibbs Racing team, you know, as a development driver, which meant nothing. It just means I couldn't sign with somebody else because <laughs> they had no schedule for you at that. No, point. they it had was nothing. Like they just signed you to a contract yeah. and had the, the option. You know, they had Bliss in in the Xfinity series, and yeah. at the time he was struggling. As soon as they signed me yeah. he all of a sudden started running really well won the charlotte race and i'm like you know i hate to root against anyone but i'm like eh, yeah you know I'm, I'm wondering what some of these young gibbs drivers are thinking now about me he's like gosh maybe you wouldn't run so good <laughs> i could get my shot i remember uh the bliss quote i don't know where he finished that day that you made your day debut at darlington but i remember bliss was in the media center after that I race for some that. reason and he said and something. he said something effective you might have noticed my replacement because at the time he was gibbs full-time xfinity driver in 2004 he said you might have noticed my replacement finished eighth today that was a week before they'd announced yep. you as his yep. replacement but <laughs> yeah i think he knew it was coming uh were you still working at your dad's trailer hitch i was still okay. still working at the trailer shop and that's what I would be doing today, honestly. Yeah. If I wasn't racing, is you know, is is working on the trailer shop, and eventually I'd like to open another trailer shop because I feel like I'm really good at that business. Huh. Um, I was really just a kid, seventeen to twenty years old when I was running my dad's trailer shop. He wasn't in, you know, his back was always bad, and mm-hmm. um, he had issues, so he could only come in three or four hours a day. And then essentially, I was there to, I was seventeen to twenty years old running a business. Um, you know, selling trailers, helping the customers, um, installing hitches, building right. trailers, things like that. And so I, it's a business that I really loved and I was really good at it. Yeah. And so I'd like to maybe in my retired life, go back to owning a trailer shop. Did Dennis sell his? He did. It, you okay. know, he didn't want the financial burden anymore. Right. He essentially was using the trailer shop to help to pay you to, yeah, to, to get my career. racing career going. So huh. uh, literally it was like, yes, we sold a trailer. We can buy tires for my race car that week. So if you bought or built up a new one, it would be in, in Richmond or in Chesterfield? Or I don't know. I don't know uh-huh. where I would do it, honestly. Um, but I, I definitely have an interest. I don't know. Maybe I'll buy back the old Chesterfield trailer and hitch. <laughs> yeah, it's still going. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, actually, one of my friends that I went to high school with uh, bought it from us. So huh. um, we essentially gave it to him because we didn't want any of the debt anymore. <laughs> right. I hear you. Um, so I'm going to read you another quote. This is the first interview I ever did with you. This was, um, did you run a truck at Richmond in September of 04? I think you might have. Right? I did. Yeah. I did. Okay. I remember you, you didn't really want to, but like you kind of had to yes. <laughs> back then. Yes. Um, so I did a story about you making your truck debut at Richmond, September, 2004. And, um, we were talking about the late model thing. And you said, I asked if it was frustrating that it took this long to get the break. And you said, um, it's just that not many people get picked up from the late model racing ranks anymore. You said they go for the open wheel guys and dirt racers and stuff like that simply because of the horsepower to rate ratio. This is back when the Ryan Newman's yep. and Casey Kane's uh, of the world were It was were the big thing back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're used to the feel of faster cars. Ours are more of stock car, but less than half the horsepower. 
I was able to adapt to it quick at that Gibbs test. They were impressed by it. When you hear those words from now coming up on like 13 years ago, has has it changed? Has it because it doesn't seem like the open wheel path so more is. I it think seems like you can make it. I think models. it's a little bit more open now. Yeah. I think that at the time it was more narrow minded into right dirt, 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 dirt. And I remember all the up and coming rookies that I was going to be racing with. Yeah. Were all dirt guys. I mean, yeah. they were you know Clint and all those guys. We were all dirt. And uh, now, I mean, you look at. Like William Byron's path, you know, uh, literally just kind of online, yeah. <laughs> you know, nearly. So uh, virtual. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a little bit more wide open, but you still have, you know, the Christopher Bells and that are that are still the dirt group, the Larsons that that are still they're still gathering those guys uh, yeah. in, into the sport. So, um, you know, I think that there's several different types of drivers and different backgrounds that can be successful, um, but it's just the few and far in between that are that are great so if you were coming along now denny would do you think it would have been just as tough to make it with all the late model success in 2016 17 versus 2003 4 would it still have been tough i think it still would be yeah tough no matter what and i mean like i said my situation was so unique i still don't think today if i had the same accolades the same race wins i get that break unless J.D. Gibbs is at that test. Right. It just doesn't. Right. I just don't think it ever happens. And so um, there's so many factors that even got to me that test like you talked about. Right. So it, it's just um, I was a one in 10 million yeah. opportunity. Yeah. And you mentioned that, like, for some drivers it doesn't work out because they say the wrong things when the microphone is placed mm -hmm. in front of them. Um, you – I feel like covering you, like you've, I've watched you uh, not really evolve, but just maybe get more comfortable with just being yourself. Um, I think it's fair to say you've, you're, you're kind of a quiet, reserved guy, but you're, I think also, you know, when you stand your ground when you feel passionate about something. So um, I wanted to ask you about, you guys just had, was the Driver's Council meeting this past Sunday? Um, or did you guys have one? It was it's going to be today. Today, okay. You have become, I think it's fair to say, pretty instrumental in the driver's council. Um, how, how did that happen? How did you become like a face or voice for it? I think it's, um, I had a conversation with Mike Helton in 2015, possibly. It was mm -hmm. 2015 when they kept adding spoiler, adding spoiler, making the spoiler taller, bigger, 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 more downforce to the cars. And passing was just getting more and more difficult. And, I, you know, I had a talk with him and he's like, look, if, and I credit Mike Helton for this. He's like, if you feel like there's something, if you guys overall feel as a group that there's something that we need to change, mm -hmm. you get some drivers together and come meet us at the R&D Center, and we'll, we'll have a talk. Right. And I remember going through the list, calling everybody up, hey, meet here at this time or whatever. Huh. And uh, so I, I gathered them all up in the in the parking lot, and I handed out <laughs> notes of like, okay, guys, these are our speaking points. This is what we're going to – because we have to stay on track. If we don't stay on track, um, you know, that's the number one thing at times NASCAR pinned against us is that, hey, this driver thinks this is the way. Hey, this one thinks we should go this way. Right. And, and instead they just go their own way. Right. And so I said we have to be united and have to have the same voice if we want to get anywhere. Right. And everyone had the same ideals as what I believed we needed to go. And uh, we met. And it was probably 15 of us drivers. And, and I'd got some big names. I mean, Tony and all those guys, I uh, got them to come. 
and stick to stick to the <laughs> the yeah. cue cards that I handed right. out, saying stick to this. Right. And uh, from that point on, it it that started clicking with okay, drivers, if you really feel that this is the way to go, we're gonna make a move on it and we'll have a test and try it. Huh. And it was successful, and it that led led to all right, let's make a rules change, and then. Um, from that point, NASCAR said, you know, I think getting the drivers together and uh, getting their ideals is, is something that uh, we need to listen to more often, and uh, it worked out that way. So that was all about two years ago? It was so? all about two years ago, okay. yeah. And it, it just started with one little meeting. And Do you remember where that was, where the meeting was? Um, well, the, it well, all started actually at a ch- – the conversation with Helton started in Chicago after it was a, a cocktail – uh, reception after one of our chase media days so right. uh there were a lot of us chase guys there and and he was like you know get them together and immediately i gather them all in one room and said all right we need to go to the r&d center and have a meeting and talk about what we want to do so uh, i think it's just that's kind of where it started but yeah you kind of see where it's gone yeah uh what's the number one thing you want to accomplish do you think this year with the driver's council well, I think the safety is always the number one thing that we're there for is, is to try to make the sport safer. And that's really gone so far. And, and NASCAR has done a great job. And now implementing this whole road uh, physician team uh, mm-hmm. is another great step, something that we really, really wanted as drivers uh, for many years. Um, it still could be better, but I still think that we're heading in the right direction. Um, I think some of the race day stuff, you know, blocking off the cars, making sure, you know, the casual race fans. I mean, they're so worried about the teams touching the cars, but yet yeah, some of the fans have people just standing they, around. They can just yeah. stand, and, and I've seen this many times, people just fall over the hoods of the cars. It's right. like, you know, making, you know, a, a safe route for us to go in and out and have our families come through, uh, things like that, just really small things yeah. um, that, that we're working on day by day. But there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, format changes, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, all-star races how can we make them more compelling um you know, really this whole stage and formats that we're going to be racing every week came from ideas of of, of of people within nascar and tv and drivers and so um we're starting to see some really the, the kind of the fruits of what's all being done behind closed doors why are you comfortable with just being in in the spotlight and taking that heat um, because you, you, it's not just the driver's council. I mean, four years ago, you, you told NASCAR you're not paying their fine. Well, <laughs> it's because I'm passionate about it. And, yeah. and, and it's, Gibbs says the thing, same thing every time we're, we come around the <laughs> contract negotiations. You're very passionate about something, and you stick to your guns. And, and I just feel like you know when I'm passionate about something, I, first of all, I want to make sure it's right. Yep. Um, you know, I don't want to just say that this is my idea and it's right because it's my idea. I want to get feedback from other drivers on that to make sure it's it's the right idea. Um, but I'm just I'm passionate about it, and I feel like I have a way to communicate that to NASCAR without pissing them off at times. <laughs> you guys added some fresh blood this year with uh, Austin Dillon, uh, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Eric Almarola. But obviously, the, the first three I mentioned are all very young, uh, under 30. Is it was that that was by design to try to get younger voices? Yeah, I think it's important because those guys are going to be here for a very long time. Uh, yeah. That whole group. Kyle Larson was on it last year and honestly didn't say a whole lot, but I can appreciate that because yeah. I guarantee if I was in his position, I probably wouldn't either. But he took everything in, and by the end of the year, he was starting to engage more and and give his opinion a little bit more. 
which is good, and, and hopefully we'll see that with Austin. And, and I did see that with Austin because he was actually there for their very first meeting in Vegas on this whole stage and format thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a – you know, I, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle. There's a few other that are on the council that are probably on the tail ends of their career. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have the young group kind of see the veterans in that room and how they handle things mm-hmm. because when they're gone, then it's up to them to – yeah. get that same message across. And even though they're there just to support and listen now, um, they're going to be the, the future leaders. Do you have a title or, or anything? Are, are you like, you're not like uh, president. I, are I, you I don't know the title. Okay. Uh, I, I know they're trying to work on titles for certain guys, but I, you know, I'm not sure at this point. Okay. All right. Well, I want to bring it back uh, and end here uh, and go back to victory lane and, and kind of bring it full circle on Daytona. I know, you know, we talked a lot about that Hickory test. JD Gibbs, you said, I mean, he, did he called, coach pretty much from hickory and say we got to sign he did that was yep i know he's meant an awful lot to you for not just that reason that he he got you to gives but a lot of other reasons and i know his his name is on your car for this this start sunday and that's got to be special it is special and i mean people think that i'm driving the number 11 because that's the number i've always had in my career which is odd that it all crazy it worked out that way that yeah uh if you look back at any old go-kart i was always number 11 i was actually a purple and white number 11 uh which is crazy but um that just tells you this is all meant to be this was meant to be right. way before i was born right uh but this was jd's car this right. is jd's number um it, when he played football racing everything he was always number 11 and so it was special to me that the guy that gave me my start Obviously, he's going through a very tough time uh, right now. And it's just how else can I pay tribute to him? I mean, uh, I'm driving his car, so I feel like his name should be above the door, and and it is now. I guess the best way to pay tribute would be to be right behind me in Victory Lane again. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I remember last year uh, being in Victory Lane with him. It was was a great feeling. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, I really enjoyed this. Uh, Hope we can do it again sometime. And uh, thanks for making time, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We appreciate Denny Hamlin for making time during a busy Daytona 500 media day to talk with us. Big thanks as well to his team's media relations reps, Tom O'Connor and Tina Therio. This took some coordinating, rescheduling, and juggling to make happen, but I think it was well worth it. So much gratitude uh, to TOC and Tina for ensuring that we found 30 minutes with Denny. Thanks again, as always, to producer Tess Quinlan, who worked overtime and under the gun to get this podcast posted. We will be back with another episode very shortly. Um, Stay tuned for that this week, in fact, for another NASCAR and NBC podcast episode. We will have Marty and Myatt Snyder. Uh, Myatt is making his Daytona uh, Daytona debut in the Truck Series Friday. He is, of course, the son of NBC Sports uh, pit reporter Marty Snyder. So we had father and son on uh, last week. We uh, taped a chat with them. I think went well. I think you'll enjoy hearing, and we'll have that available for you soon. Don't forget also that NASCAR America is on NBCSN. That's our nightly show. Check listings or NBCSports.com slash NASCAR where we always have daily updates on what's to come on the show and when it will be on. That's NASCAR America on NBCSN. Also, if you want to catch the live stream or replays of NASCAR America, NBCSports.com slash live is the landing page to go to. So go there or go to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR to stay abreast of NASCAR America. If you've got ideas for the NASCAR NBC podcast, send them to me on Twitter. At Nate Ryan is my handle. 
Thanks again for listening to this episode of the NASCAR on NBC podcast. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells... Amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy, the way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick.